Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here's Shahan J. Haraja and Babak Hayeri. Hey, everybody. This is the College Football Survivor Show, where we're all about the race for the College Football Championship. I'm Babak Hayeri, and I'm joined in this wonderful early morning by Shahan J. Haraja, National College Football Writer for CBS Sports. You can find us on X and TikTok at CFB Survivor Show, where we have video highlights of the show, run polls, and you can give us your feedback. We're a podcast, and we always appreciate it when you take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your shows. Good reviews help expand our audience. Well, it's the morning after the national championship game, and and it's an early one for those of us who have to cover it. Um, Both of us were there in Houston last night. Both of us saw... Just about everything you all did. It was a great experience. Shahan, how are you feeling this morning? Hail to the victors, man. Hail to the victors. 34 to 13, number one Michigan over number two Washington. It was in so many ways the Washington nightmare scenario. It was in so many ways Michigan wasting opportunities. But I think ultimately the right team won. Ultimately, the right team is national champions. I think Michigan is the best team in the country. What a night. Exactly. What a night. I mean, I the way that game started out, I honestly at one point during the first quarter wrote to my, you know, to my colleagues, I'm like, it almost is like we quietly switched the offensive strategy of both teams in terms of the expectation was if Washington were to win, they were going to strike early, strike a couple of times, and put Washington in catch-up mode. And instead, very early on, it was like, what, 174 yards on the ground, which I guess is the Michigan way of doing this. But they were striking so quickly, and Washington just couldn't get the ball moving. Uh, I was I was struck by that. And I think the moment the first quarter ended, I sometimes you're like, oh, well, you know, this is just a slow start for a great team. And, and certainly the, the Washington offense can strike hard when it needs to. But it just never came back. And um, it, as we saw, we saw the final result, 34 to 13. I, it, I'm i trying to, you know, I remember in the post-game press conference, um, uh, Penick said, you know, we were making lots of little mistakes. Lots of, uh, we weren't executing every little thing. And those kinds of small, and he, he put a lot of that on himself. I'm not trying to say, he said, I missed some throws. You know, some of the other guys didn't do what they were supposed to do. And I remember, like, there were a couple of receivers that tripped on their side. I mean, there were a couple of plays where I'm like, they should have had that. Um, but, I mean, we can talk about a little, again, to the details of it. But it just seems like, I don't know, Washington had an off night. And this was possibly the worst time they could ever have an off night. And Michigan, maybe not perfect, but damn well good enough to 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 win the way they do, just slowly suffocating their opponent. Yeah, and, and let's get into it. So... So much about how I thought and said this game was going to go, but like came to fruition, but only for stretches, right? Like this was a weird football game in a lot of ways because you have in the first quarter, Michigan is mauling them with the run, just absolutely destroying them with the run. Uh, Obviously, Donovan Edwards breaks off, has the, the longest run in the history of the college football playoff and follows it up with the next. Longest run in the history of the college football playoff for a touchdown, uh, 41 and 46 yards on those touchdown runs. And by the way, Donovan Edwards has been a zero factor this year. Uh, he's coming off of knee surgery over the offseason. He's going to be back in 2024, and I expect he's going to redefine himself and kind of get back to the idea of being uh, an, an every down type back. I think he's going to have a great year next year. But he hasn't been that dude. We, we didn't even see it in the Rose Bowl. He didn't play very much against Alabama. And those two runs changed the game. I, I mean, they completely changed the game. And it wasn't the short running game because Blake Corum was more the battering ram like we expected. That part definitely came to fruition. But it wasn't working as well. I, I mean, in the first quarter it did. But there were a lot of plays where they'd find themselves in third and six or something like that because the, the run game was only getting them so much. So they actually were the more explosive team, which was a huge shock to me after what we've seen from both Michigan and Washington this year. Uh, the other piece, too, is that, you know, early in the game, 
a lot of people for good reason were kind of like, why, why are you getting away from the run? And I do feel like they got away from the run uh, a little bit more than they needed to. But the other part was when you start looking further into the second half, like Washington was scheming the run pretty well. Like they legitimately were, especially after that first little barrage. They survived that Donovan Edwards first quarter. Uh, after that, they did a good job in the second half. Michigan rushed for four and a half yards per carry, which is fine. It's not spectacular. It wasn't what they were doing in the first half, of course. Uh, you know, in the in the first half, they had more than 200 rushing yards. But in the second half, they were held mostly under control. Uh, but again, it was those explosive plays. It was J.J. McCarthy finding Colson Loveland, who ran at 41 yards. It was, uh, you know, of course, like we mentioned, the Donovan Edwards runs. and. Obviously, the story of this game, even though it was a 34 to 13 game, it, it was a one score game in the, in the fourth quarter. The story of this game is the Michigan defense, which I think now deserves to be talked about the way that we talk about a 2021 Georgia type unit. It was one of the better performances that we've seen. Some people are like, oh, you know, Michael Penix had a bad day and he definitely missed some stuff that was there. But the stuff that he was missing was because of the pressure that they were able to get and not just what they were able to get every single play, but what they were able to get as well uh, in simulated pressure. Uh, Washington's offensive line did not handle pressure well at all. They were starting, you know, I, I was talking with somebody and it's like the Sam Darnold thing, right? Like Washington's offensive line was seeing ghosts out there because of all the angles that Michigan was attacking, all the different gaps, all the different plays they were lining up with Dylan Johnson uh, limited. They also really spread themselves out on the defensive line to attack from different angles. They'd have five or six guys lining up on the line and Washington had no idea what direction they were coming from. And so I think that when you look at this Michigan defense and, and that's not even getting into the secondary, which did a really good job, these ACC refs let these guys play and Michigan adjusted very quickly. They took full advantage in the secondary. They were very physical. They, they got their hands on guys. You know, they they really uh, got up into them. And that's what you have to do. If you are given the opportunity to do that, that's what a great secondary does. They walk the line and there were one or two pass interference calls that were very legitimate, but uh, they managed to generally avoid many penalties. Each team was only called for five penalties. And so it was just a total team effort. Uh, the special teams were finally back on point today for Michigan. There wasn't uh, any sort of mental mistake, mental error. And it, it was just, it was a dominant performance. Uh, again, not a consistently dominant performance, not an every single down dominant performance, but every single unit when they needed to step up, they were there. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of the Michigan defense, I, I what struck me was how few deep balls they were really able to throw. Um, Penix just couldn't get them out there. Um, and when they did, either he... He missed, or you know, uh, Will Johnson, Mike Sanders, still in company, really made it difficult and almost impossible for them to get them off. Both those guys had interceptions. I mean, that was also, I mean, a key factor. You can't, I mean, you know, not to not to get into the cliche, but yeah, t turnovers are killers. And those two guys had the two of the pivotal. I mean, the the Sanders still turn, uh, pardon me, uh, um, interception in the th the third quarter was. Just uh, was where was that in the fourth, third, or fourth quarter? Gosh, sorry, I'm a little it was fourth quarter. Fourth quarter. That was that was yeah, a backbreaker for them. And then they just turn around and uh, and see that Michigan offense get another touchdown. I mean, it, it's remarkable to me. I mean, you you pointed out uh, Donovan Edwards, and I'm glad you did because he was, I think, as you pointed out, a non-factor most of the season. Um, it was a delight to hear his teammates. You know, they were happy. Somebody had asked in the presser again, like how, you know, Donovan Edwards kind of stepped up and Blake Corum, who was the offensive MVP, although I thought, you know, Edwards could have made a case for it, certainly. Um, but he was just so thrilled for it. It was wonderful to hear a, a, a player so happy for their teammate. You know, Don is back, as, as he said at the end. The Don is back. And um, J.J. McCarthy similarly was just thrilled because of all the things that uh, Edwards had dealt with all season on and off the field. I mean, just trying to find his own, like, his self and center himself. 
Yeah, he. I, there was a chuckle in my end of the press box when they uh, when um, uh, Edwards had his second long run for 46 yards. And I believe it was actually the second all-time. I think Derrick Henry's 50-yard uh, run was still, the, from 2016, was still the longest rush. But it was so funny, you know, the, the, press, the press conference, um, or not, pardon me, the press, the press box announcer, um, who, by the way, was from Washington. I got to know all the stats crew. Who I did not know this. The stats crew that does the national championship just through a series of relations and when the CFB began, um, they were known for doing the Rose Bowl, and so they were recommended to the CFP. So it's always the same group, and they're all from Seattle, and they usually do like uh, Huskies games as well as Seahawks games. This year, they happen to be doing their you know their hometown team. Obviously, they weren't biased, but um, anyway, sorry, going back to that. But I just remember the the internal announcer saying, you know, uh, obviously this is now the second uh, the second longest rush. In the CFB title game, so uh, in the history of the CFB title game, it's been ten, you know. But um, yeah, it was absolutely remarkable <clears throat> performance, and you know, another uh, another one of these moments. Speaking of uh, the the Michigan offense, one thing that struck me was that they didn't have a third down until well into the third quarter, um, both because their explosive plays made it unnecessary, but also because yeah, the uh, the Washington defense wasn't terrible overall it just those explosive plays breaking out and the lack of the offense's ability to uh to keep them in the game just it 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 finally came to a head um this is something we've seen before where their their defense can allow a team to score and not necessarily have the greatest day but they were able to rely on the, the sheer talent of of Penix and their receivers and this this game the complete nightmare scenario happened. the the uh, The defense was was not terrible, but not doing the best, and the offense just completely had an off night. You know, I want to go back to that third down conversion. Sorry, I'm kind of going all over the place, but um, that was an interesting play because that was where we saw JJ McCarthy run up the middle for 22 yards. And when we saw that, I remember watching that play develop from the, the press box. I'm like, oh wow, they did not see that coming. Although during the press conference, JJ was asked about that, and he said, watching film. I knew there was going to be a moment where they were going to give me an opportunity for a run, and I just took it. And at that moment, um, seeing uh, seeing the quarterback make that kind of a run, I was. It was another moment where you're like, I don't think this this Washington uh, team. Because how many times during the game was Washington within a touchdown or within a score, and they just couldn't get anything going on that offense? And again, credit to that defense. Credit to. The, the havoc they would create with, as you said, the schemes they were running, the, um, the, the individual talent levels of all of those guys, I, they won and they did not leave a doubt. It was a clean game. I've, I've, jokingly, I've talked about this, this friend of the family I have who literally just moved to the United States um, and <laughs> at Michigan. But uh, the, the, the story is like I always try to explain to him like what's going on. So he texted me like last night. He's like, was this a good game? And I mean, he didn't mean like, even though was, yeah, he's a Michigan like student now, but he wasn't like, was this a good game? He was like, he was trying to understand like by the definition of people who watch American football, is this a quality experience? And I said, yeah, I thought I'm like the, the Michigan, they went in there, they played a decent enough game. They won on the field. There's no weird play, no real question. I mean, sure. Washington fans are a little can, can point to some things that didn't thrill them. But, you know, as you said, the ACC refs let them play. Um, but I'm like, no, this was, on the whole, uh, a good game. It was a very Michigan game. Um, and they managed to do it, go 15-0 and and win the national title. I'm like, this was uh, if the title game. You can't complain about it. Yeah, you know, it, it is an interesting question because I, I was kind of having this conversation with other people, too. Was this a – what was this a good game? So it was – I think not a very well played game on both sides. Like, I, I think that uh, I think let, let's have the J.J. McCarthy conversation a little bit. So J.J. 10 of 18, uh, 140 yards, like you said, made one of the biggest plays of the game, a 22 yard third down conversion. What was their first third down conversion of the entire game? Uh, Washington, again, had started to find their defensive footing whenever he did it. And I think that that play did change the calculus a little bit for uh, for Washington. There's just a couple plays every single game where Jim Harbaugh and Sharon Moore, Michigan's offensive coordinator, just, just call a, we think that J.J. McCarthy needs to have a big moment 
to be the greatest quarterback in college football history. And like it just it it doesn't work. I think back to that third and two call that let Washington back in the game. If if I'm uh, sorry, fourth and, and two call uh, if J.J. McCarthy runs the ball, if Michigan runs the ball, if they bring out Alex Orgy and run the ball, I think they convert it. I think they have a good chance of getting into the end zone. I think that this becomes a 24 to three game at halftime. Instead, they run a rollout pass uh, to, I believe it was Colson Loveland and uh, Edifon Olafoshio breaks it up. Turnover on downs. Washington goes down the field. They march down and they score what ended up, I guess, being their only touchdown of the day. And it's just that was such a big moment because then Washington got the ball back to start the second half. Michael Penix Jr. ruined it by throwing a bizarre interception where he was fading backwards and and he had a bad day. We we can get to, to the Washington side of things in a second. But that was a moment where Washington had an opportunity to take control of the game because Michigan felt the game was over and wanted to make a point and wanted to prove like, nah, JJ McCarthy's awesome. Like we, we got to prove it because he's going to convert this fourth down for us with a nice pass. And he had some moments, he had some nice passes, but this of course was a whole team effort. It almost felt like, like Michigan wanted JJ McCarthy at times to win player of the game, even though they had 200 yard rushers, the first team in a national title game since 2013, uh, when I believe it was TJ Yeldon and, uh, and Eddie Lacey both ran for a hundred yards in, in a win over Notre Dame. Like it felt like they were like, no, like this is a legacy game for JJ McCarthy and the game's already over. So we can go ahead and give him that legacy. And they they just got away a little bit in the middle two quarters from what was working. And, and again, let Washington back into the game. People will look back at this, this title game and say, oh my gosh, it was a 21 point blowout. It was 34 to 13. It, if you watch the game and, and I'm sure that people who listen to a podcast as specific as this, watch the game. It was a one score game with seven Oh nine remaining in the fourth quarter. And Michael Penix jr had a fourth down opportunity to convert and get into the red zone and maybe tie the game. And then Mike Sanders still happens, right? And then he takes an interception all the way back into the, the red zone. And then they score. Blake Corum gets his touchdown. He gets another touchdown after that. 27 on the year, by the way, for Blake Corum. One of the crazy rushing seasons that we've ever seen. But this was a close game. And... I think it shouldn't have been if Michigan handles some things right in the middle two quarters. Yeah, I that was I remember that sequence at the end of the first half. It was towards the end of the first half. Um, and yeah, I was like, wow, second, fourth and two decided to pass it. And um, I, I I think you assessed it right. I think that there is that that connection because of the, the open bromance between um, between Harbaugh and McCarthy certainly led to that. Um, Fortunately for their legacy, that'll probably become forgotten as time goes. And the fact is, as you pointed out, people will see the final score and remember the rushing performance. But yeah, and and I think maybe for Washington fans, that was the frustrating thing. Opportunities like that came up. And in that circumstance, in the second quarter, um, the Washington offense came together because that was the thing. They, They would move so fast and then... Either the uh, they would make a, a mistake, or the Michigan defense would lock down, and a combination of the two um, to, to keep those those drives from really developing. Um, it was absolutely striking, and there were you know one thing we've also talked about, um, and, and we've hinted out the the ACC referees, as you pointed out yourself, let them play quite a bit because we've had that discussion before. Like I know some of the Washington fans are um, upset about you know, holds as well as questions about whether or not there were 12 men on the field or not. Um, and perhaps, but ultimately I, I, I think this was a, this was a, a an incredibly uh, loose game compared to some of the others we've seen this season. And, um, and even under those circumstances there, what, what in your opinion, what do you think was the Achilles heel for Washington in this game? 
I have to look at that Washington offensive line because they had some issues fitting the run early. Uh, They got better over the course of the game. I think that actually their defensive coordinators did a fantastic job of adjusting to what Michigan was presenting them. But the unit that was supposed to be good was the Washington offense. And some of it is just, I mean, Michigan's really good. Again, like I said, Michigan deserves to be talked about defensively in that 2021 Georgia tier, where maybe it's just such a good defense that you just, you just have to live with that. Right. And so, but the piece that was surprising to me and huge shout out to Jesse Minter, the Michigan defensive coordinator uh, who schemed up a fantastic game. And the thing that he did best was he drew up some incredible simulated pressures. And what I mean by that is they had guys lining up on the line so far spread out. And the Washington offensive line, something I said on the show earlier this week, was I felt like one of the advantages that Washington had in this game was Alabama's offensive line. We talk about all the talent issues. It was not a talent issue. It was a communication issue. They did such a poor job of knowing where they were supposed to be, of identifying coverages, of getting to to the right spots. And I thought that Washington would be better. They've got a great center in Parker Brailsford. They have obviously a future first round draft pick in Troy Fatanu at left tackle. And they communicate well. They won the Joe Moore Award. Uh, By the way, Joe Moore, uh, I don't... He has gotten more pub this week than probably any man in history because every time that people talk about Washington, they're talking about Joe Moore. But I think that when you look at that matchup, they panicked, especially early. We saw in the first quarter, they took two timeouts on the same first drive because they did not know where the pressure was coming from. They were freaking out. They were panicking. Uh, again, like to go back to it, they were seeing ghosts. And a lot of that is because of the simulated pressure that Michigan brought. And most of the game, they only rushed four. They didn't necessarily bring a lot of blitzes, but it was coming from different angles. Uh, one of the huge credits that you have to give to Michigan and the way that their defense is structured is that they have, uh, you know, obviously their D tackles aren't dropping back into coverage. But they have so much athleticism at defensive end that they could rush linebackers and replace with their defensive ends dropping back into short coverage, right? Like they were able to mix up who was coming on different plays. And when you mix that with what they were doing in the secondary and the shell that they were able to provide, uh, it's it's amazing the game that Jesse Minter called. Uh, th- this is this is a head coach type game. Like this is a like getting a job type performance that he put together. This is getting an NFL defensive coordinator type performance that he put together. And so I think that Michigan just did such an amazing job of making Washington's offensive line panic. And once that started happening, especially on that first drive, you started to see Michael Penix Jr. stopped. Uh, stepping into his throws he wasn't able to get in much rhythm it's funny in the third quarter they actually did a nice job of starting to get him into some rhythm by using tight end jack westover and you saw these little dump offs you saw these little uh you know short passes and all of a sudden michael Penix jr started putting some stuff together and you wonder would they have been able to do more of that in quarter one if they tried to do that Does Michael Penix Jr. get into a different kind of rhythm? Does Michigan have to attack it differently? You know, they did a great job of using almost these like these like slip plays where where uh, Jack Westover would kind of just like jut out immediately. And Michael Penix Jr. gets the ball out so fast and it would turn into eight yards like it was nothing. And that was one of the points that I made is that this Washington team is able typically to take advantage of any piece of real estate on the field. They're not just trying to go long. They're able to get you almost anywhere. Uh, The other part too, that I feel like we have to mention is that Michael Penix Jr. Never really got into rhythm. He he was off, but his receivers did not do a very good job either. Romo Dunze, you know, he he had an all right day, uh, not one of his better days, but he was blanketed. They let 
they let Will Johnson play him very physically as well. And that made the game just a little bit harder. He still made a few catches. He still had a couple opportunities there. I mean, Washington fans are going to replay that play in the first quarter where Romo Dunze is wide open. And maybe that's a touchdown play. If Michael Penix Jr. and him are on the same page, the way I interpreted that play was that Romo Dunze kind of cut his route short because he was so open and Michael Penix Jr. thought he would keep running and keep fading to the corner. And there was just a miscommunication of where they wanted to be and where they wanted the ball to go. So, like, it, it, that's just one of those things, right? I, I mean, I think that it's just a miscommunication. But overall, I, I mean, Romo Dunze had a tough day just because of how much he was being blanketed. He was being bracketed at times as well. And I think that Jalen Polk had a really bad game. I, I mean, he just he had a couple plays there that he just needs to make uh Jalen McMillan wasn't able to get free all that often he did get free for the touchdown but it just wasn't consistent and um you know in, in another aspect that I think that on the Washington side we have to mention is you know Dylan Johnson tried to play uh participated a little bit had 11 carries but he wasn't right. I mean, after his first carry of the game, which went for six yards, I mean, credit to him. Uh, and when he was on the field, he did a pretty good job. But he, after his first carry, he went to the medical tent to get looked at again. And it, it just wasn't right. He wasn't feeling good. Um, I do think that him being, if he's 100%, which nobody is at this time of year, it definitely does not swing the game. But I think it makes Michael Penix's life just a little bit easier. I... I need to understand what is going on with Will Nixon and Tybo Rogers that they won't even try their backup running backs. I, I need to understand why you don't put Jalen McMillan back there for a couple plays or or Jalen Polk. Like, like I don't get it. I, I don't understand why they didn't try anything else. I think that Tybo Rogers and Will Nixon combined for three carries in the game. Like, and it wasn't like Washington in the run game was just getting destroyed up front. Now, Michigan was causing them issues, but like I, I just think that it would have made their lives a little bit easier. So uh, just a mess of a game for Washington defensively. Like you said, in that first quarter, it looked like they were about to get blown off the freaking planet. It, it looked like they were about to get TCU'd, you know, 65 to 7. Uh and they adjusted. They did a good job of adjusting, especially in the second half. I think that they made uh, the running game much, much more difficult. Um, to go back to Michigan for a second, I said it. I, I felt like J.J. McCarthy had one drive in him. I, I felt like he had one big drive. Uh, if it was going to be, we need J.J. McCarthy to have five drives to keep up with this Washington offense, I did not feel comfortable with that. But it ended up being one drive. Right. It, it ended up being that mid fourth quarter drive where, uh, you know, they have an opportunity to go up and they have an opportunity to put the game away. And they took advantage of that moment. And J.J. McCarthy, again, the pass to Colson Loveland, uh, it, it sets up eventually a Blake Horm touchdown run. Uh, that was the drive. That, that's the drive that they're going to talk about in Ann Arbor for a very long time. Mixed with Mike Sanderson's interception, that play is going to be played for the next 500 years in Ann Arbor if, if the heat death of the universe doesn't come. And so it, it's such a big moment. And this is the funny thing about, uh, about J.J. McCarthy. And I'm going to make a comparison that probably to Michigan fans sounds like an insult, but I don't mean it that way. Like J.J. McCarthy had a Jake Coker game. And I mean that in 2015, in the national championship game, like Jake Coker took over for a minute, right? Like he put together a drive where he just ran the damn ball. He was bruised, you know, he and he just made enough throws down the stretch that he in, a, in many ways was the difference in that 2015 game. Now, J.J. McCarthy is better than Jake Coker, of course, but that was the role that he was kind of asked to play at the end of this game. And I think he executed at a high level. Uh, again, the first uh, this is the first national championship game of the college football playoff era that a team had 200 yard rushers. It's the first time since 2012 Alabama in the 2013 title game. So like they leaned on the run, they leaned on their defense. But I do. I mean, you have to give JJ McCarthy this credit because 
at the same time, I don't think that Cade McNamara makes that drive. I don't think that Shea Patterson makes that drive. I don't think that Jake Rudock makes that drive for Michigan. So, you know, again, I I don't want to overstate what he is or what he can be or what he will be. But like J.J. McCarthy is a central part of why Michigan is a national championship team. And again, he should be treated and credited as such. Absolutely. He had a, a critical drive at the end of the Rose Bowl um, the previous week. So yep, yep. this is it. Once again, one one drive and a critical late game drive. They put it on his shoulders and he did it. And um, uh, yeah, it was remarkable to see uh, the confidence he seemed to have, especially um, in that second half. Granted, it helped that his defense was putting him in nice positions and all of that, especially with the interception late in the game. You know, I want to go back because you, you hit something with uh, the Will Nixon, Tybo Rogers thing. Because I, with Will Nixon, he was used more as a receiver than anything. They targeted him five times and, you know, he isn't a receiver. So there were a couple of times where he, he kind of let him down. Um, but that's what struck me. I mean, between the two, um, they had, I think, like three rushes, but they were targeted at least seven times. Um, Tybo Rogers, actually, I think eight times. Tybo Rogers, he's young. He's a freshman. I remember again in the Rose Bowl, I just was you kind of had plays where I'm like, oh, not quite, not quite working out. He'll get there. He'll get there. He's developing. But again, they had to rely on them more too. And and I was wondering why. I mean, there's a certain level of, you know, okay, who who's who seems to be working? Let's adjust the play. And Polk, uh, pardon me, um uh Penix is certainly good at finding receivers. And as we saw, Jack Westover ended up becoming one of his targets quite frequently, especially in the second half. But I think eventually the Michigan defense kind of caught on to it. So that later in the game, you'd find out that he was a target, but he didn't make it or just didn't make any gain. Whoa. And speaking of which, my goodness, I have to. There were moments where it looked like Washington was about to have a huge play because as those of us who've watched Washington know, um, you throw it to the receiver and then the receivers are their yards after catch are phenomenal. And there were at least a Two plays in particular that struck me. In, out in the open, receivers on an island, and the corner, like, I think it was Will Johnson, I, I don't know, at least one of them, I don't remember if it was, I think it was Mike Sanders still on the other, perfect open field tackle. And if if they had done what they have done to so many other cornerbacks before, that was going to be a huge run, if not a touchdown. So again, across the board, just fundamentally, some of the play that was happening completely shut down what normally worked for the Washington offense. Um, and that also had to be extremely frustrating to, because, I mean, and again, sorry to keep going back, but you mentioned that those two timeouts, that was a big question. It was an opening drive. It was, it was uh, Michigan's, pardon me, Washington's opening drive. Um, it was going to hopefully set the tone for the whole game. The whole drive felt a little clunky, fits and starts. They were trying to find their footing. There were moments where we were like, oh, look, they hit, you know, they hit, they, you know, they're going to watch how fast they can move across the field. And then it just slowed down and it came down to a field goal, which I thought, you know, wow, you've taken two of your timeouts on your opening drive and they've only managed three points. I think that was the moment where I wonder if on the Michigan sideline, they're like, okay, we've got them. We're going to, we, <laughs> this is, look, they're blowing timeouts. They're going to come, they're going to completely be in a position where, um, you know, that, th- that level of morale boost, certainly must have translated onto the other side. Because when the offense retook the field, they go and score again. And and here we are. We're watching a uh we're watching a remarkable uh, turn of events where, you know, Washington is the team that's now trying to play catch up and seems frustrated as they try to do so. I I, I can't get enough of this game. I cannot wait to rewatch it and really look at some of the minutiae of, of what occurred on that field. You know, um one other kind of, just sort of not one other question, but kind of looking back at it just overnight, what was the biggest surprise for you? I think the biggest surprise for me was that Washington got nothing down the field. Like the only play that they got down the field, uh, I, I mean, there were really two opportunities, but one was the miscommunication between Michael Penix Jr. and Romo Dunce, and the other was callback for holding. It, it was the only real long completion that they had all day. And it was it was like 29 yards. It wasn't even like a crazy completion. It was, you know, it was a good play. And I think that when you look at modern college football offense, like it is just so rare 
to completely shut down a downfield game when a team is elite at it. And that's a credit to just how good Michigan is. I, I mean, I think that Michigan was one of the hardest teams in the country to read through the year because they never faced this. They never played a team that could do this. And but once they had the opportunity, you know, last week they play Jalen Milrow, they play Isaiah Bond, they play Jermaine Burton. And there was like one 18 yard throw to Isaiah Bond. And that was kind of all the downfield passing. Uh, and now they play the best downfield passing offense in the entire country. Uh, this is a fun fact. I, when I was doing my story, I realized this. Michael Penix Jr. threw the most 20 plus, so deep passes of any quarterback in the last five years. So it's not just that he's good at it. It's that they do it a lot. They don't do it every play. I mean, that's still only about 25% of his throws, but he is not afraid to go down the field. And it's part of their game plan that they want to spread you out by going deep. And they tried to do that a couple of times, but Michigan was just prepared. Uh, like, again, when you're playing, <laughs> when you're playing Big Ten teams and you're playing members of the Big Ten West, oh, how do you know what's transferable, right? Like how even as a, as a staff, do you know what's transferable? Uh, because you're not getting a chance to prepare for it. Uh, you know, the closest that you get is Maryland probably with uh, Talia, who now is apparently not going to play there anymore. Uh, and then like Ohio state throughout their season had the ability to, to go long, but they couldn't protect, right? Like, like they replaced both tackles after last year. And so you you wondered how much it was, oh, the, we're doing a great job in the secondary versus, oh, this is just like two tackles who are not very good. And so we're getting to Kyle McCord and he's panicking. And I think that Washington was the game that, you know, I, I don't want to say that a team that went 15 and 0 and beat four of the top 10 teams in the CFP rankings was unproven until they got to this point. But I think that it just emphasized how strong they were on that side of the ball in the secondary with their ability to get pressure. It does not matter who they were playing against. And, um, you know, offensively, especially early, I mean, there were times that they got too cute. There, there were times that they tried to make some stuff happen, that they tried to make a point and, and they should have just kept, kept things simple. Defensively, they are one of the most focused teams that I have ever seen. Uh, we talk about the sort of down to down consistency, uh, and how down-to-down -down dominant they were playing against even average Big Ten teams. But that defense never took a moment off, right? It, again, this team reminds me a lot of that 2021 Georgia team because of how good they are defensively, of course. Um, I think that defensive tackle-wise, I'm not saying that Kenneth Grant is Jalen Carter by any means, but like I think that they were really good. And they're actually a better pass-rushing unit, I think. Probably not as they're an elite run defense unit, but they're not 21 Georgia elite, but they're a better pass rushing unit. I think that they're maybe a little better in the secondary. I do like Georgia more at linebacker, but like we can make these comparisons. That's how good this unit is. And their offense, especially this time around, I think reminded me a lot of 2021 Georgia as well, where it was situationally excellent. And, you know, you have Stetson Bennett throws the deep pass to, uh, to, uh, uh, oh my gosh, uh, uh, the George Pickens in the national championship game that ultimately clinches the win over Alabama. And that was kind of what we got from Michigan's offense was when it was time to go, it was time to go. And they were able to turn it on. So uh, a lot of comparisons to that team, I think, come to my mind because we haven't had like a team that's so defense first other than Georgia in a pretty long time. You know, it's been a quarterback sport for so long, but I think that, uh, that mission kind of proved that you can do it a different way. Absolutely. And one of the things that, that struck me watching the game is uh, how much it was a relief to finally see. I mean, we've talked about it before and I think in the middle of the game, I said, you know, we're going to finally see a new team get here. We're not talking SEC on SEC. We're not talking, you know, it, I'm not saying I have nothing against the SEC. I hope they they get into it again next season if they can, um, this 12-team playoff. But it was also just a relief to see a little bit of variety and to see a Michigan team that won in a very old-fashioned way. That's what it felt like. It felt like we we're going back to physicality. There was a discussion earlier this week about 
the FCS title game, which was the previous day. And what would, why were these Northern teams like in the Dakotas and Montana being so successful? And uh, it was pointed out like, well, they still play physical football. They still dominate online. That's what they focus on. And yet here we are with Michigan bringing that back. And both of their lines were, were stellar this, this season, and especially on the highest stage. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. On a slightly lighter note, you know, this is, uh, I've now, this is my, my fifth time covering the national championship game. This is your first time actually on site doing it. What were some of your impressions of just the overall total experience? So I've had the opportunity, it, like at first college football playoff national championship, but I've been to an FCS title game. I've been to a D3 title game. Uh, I, I've been to two uh, college basketball national championships, both times as fans. And it, there is like a little funny part where it kind of feels a little anticlimactic, you know, where it's like you think about all these giant things in the sport and what and people are scratching and clawing to like have the opportunity to play for a national championship and like NIL and transfer portal and all this. Stuff. And then it's like, it's just like some like 21 year olds, like, with a trophy like it's it's kind of like it's kind of like a crazy thing and then you just kind of walk out and you're like what do i do now uh, this is actually again a, a funny thing and uh, some context right in 2021 uh when baylor won the national championship in basketball uh, i went out there as a fan and uh obviously it was very much kind of during the pandemic still so capacity was lowered a little bit and uh, you know, so the bar scene and party scene wasn't exactly the same as it would be for this, where like anybody could go to the bar and run into a million Michigan fans. But it was kind of like I walked out of the building and I'm like, all right, we're, they won. Now what? You know, but it's it's one of those things that I think for me and, and part of this is also just like how I watch sports and even like for my teams, like how I experience my fandom. It's like such a slow burn for me where it's just like. It's not even like at the, like the moment is great, but then like, it's like a week later. It's like, Oh, Oh hell. Like they, they won. That's like, and it, it's almost like it gets better. The further that you get away from it. it's like, wait, so like, you know, for Michigan, it's like, wait, so we're the, the first team since 2014 from the big 10 to win this thing. Wait, we're, we're the first team at Michigan since 1997 first outright since night, you know? And so it just like, I, I, it almost like gets better. Like you almost can't experience it in the moment uh, in a way because it's just so big. It's like, it's, it's impossible to comprehend. So that was something that was really interesting for me to see. It, it, it was a, they definitely, and to be clear, they put on a big show and, and they like, it is a cool experience. All the confetti flying around all that, uh, you know, seeing uh, JJ McCarthy go hug his family, seeing, uh, you know, Jim Harbaugh lift Jack Harbaugh up in the air, his dad. And, you know, so it, it's a really cool thing, but I think it's something that's, uh, that I'm going to have even more appreciation for in a few weeks and maybe even right now in terms of actually covering a championship game. I mean, it was an incredible crowd. Uh, NFL stadiums can be very dead. <laughs> and I thought that the fans on both sides of for Michigan and for Washington, both brought it. It was definitely probably a 60, 40 Michigan crowd. It, it was more of a Michigan crowd, but Washington fans did an impressive job as well. They showed up. I saw them all around Houston all day. Uh, whenever, things happened. Like you'd hear Washington fans just fine. Uh, and I think the other piece of it too is, I mean, again, it's like every single play is like a legacy opportunity. You know, Like Mike Sanders still wrote his name into Michigan history because he had that 80 yard interception return. It's just, the stakes are so high. You feel it. It's tangible. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and in terms of like the actual, like covering the game and, and getting to be here, uh, you know, the college football playoff does an incredible job of putting together an event. Um, you know, lots of stuff starting, I mean, really starting like last week, all the way up until now, whether it's concerts, whether it's parties, whether it's, uh, you know, for media, they, they do a lot of stuff uh, for hospitality and stuff like that. Like they treat this like a big event. And, and I think that that's a really cool thing. And, uh, you know, ultimately again, it, it's like, 
even here now today, it's like, man, I was, I was there for history, right? I was there for Michigan's first national championship since 1997. I was there for Washington playing for a national championship for the first time since we started having national championship games. So it's a cool experience. And it's something that I definitely hope that I get to keep experiencing. Absolutely. Yeah, no, this was the, the host committee here, I thought did a, a good job for everyone. Um, the, every year, I, I don't like participate in the fan fest, but I always walk through it because it's right by media day. And I always like to see what what they put on. Each year it gets better and better. The first time I covered this was New Orleans. It was an uh, outdoor fan fest um, near the French Quarter. And I kind of get why they put it there. But I was like, all right, you know, cool, you know, not, not that interesting. And then they started doing them in these indoor convention centers. And they started doing like more events for, for kids to do. And this year, they went Houston heavy. Like they had a, a, a big old riding mechanical bull. They would not like a dangerous one, although that would have been <laughs> hilarious. Uh, I was hoping Perry the pylon would get on it. That would have been like a, a photo opportunity. But um, years ago, gosh, here's a reference. I did E3, which was a, a video game conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I did it in like b- back in 2000 when it first moved to the LA Convention Center. And there was a Planet of the Apes video game. And somebody had a mechanical bull. So I have an old photo somewhere on my Advantix camera of a Planet of the Apes, a guy complete Planet of the Apes costume on a mechanical bull. So like I was hoping for that kind of a moment with Perry the Pylon. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so th- I thought that was good. I thought, you know, the host committee here, it was kind of a weird thing. Houston being as kind of it's, it's sort of infamy of planning where things are just everywhere. The actual media hotel this year was not like a raucous experience because there have been years where the lobby is anarchy, uh, especially after the game. Last year, despite the blowout that it was, I remember getting back to the hotel um, by LAX because there weren't any hotels next to SoFi Stadium. And that lobby was complete. And actually, it was even crazier in Indianapolis because it was Alabama fans. It was Georgia fans. No one wanted to go outside. So <laughs> the, the media. So and I remember late last night when I was and I know you went to bed later than I did, John. But I, I remember I, I was getting on the elevator and suddenly all these Michigan fans were showing up. I guess the downtown hotels were, were all the parties. Yeah. Were, they were all horse voiced. I remember listening to this. It was kind of like I love when I when I walk the field before the game, taking you know photos for the, the social media account at Reddit. I, uh, I I was just I love seeing different groups of fans getting photos of them. You know the families; those are cute. You know little kids and, and their parents flanking them, um, and or just moments where you can see people experiencing something that they're never going to forget. Um, on the elevator last night, heading up to my room, two groups of Michigan fans. Some were, were like college-age students. They had like a Domino's pizza. And this other guy, this older gentleman, his voice was gone. And he was like, I learned during the Rose Bowl to save my voice for the first half and then and then use it in the second half. And they were just like giving advice and knowledge and 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 you know, talking to each other. Everyone was just in a great mood. You see that buzz, you kind of you kind of build off that, regardless of which team wins, you know, like just that that buzz you get. Um and, and that's something that I think makes it a special experience. And I know uh, from the videos I've seen of what happened in our Ann Arbor last night, oh, they, 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 were, they were quite aware of the significance of it. it uh, maybe not of the historical significance of it, but they, Ann Arbor, I hope no one got arrested, but they, they were having a good time out there. But um, my goodness, I think that's what makes, I love seeing a, a season culminate in a game like this that was at least, a solid game, maybe not the best game for either team. No, not I mean, running backs, okay, they can maybe take a bow in the Michigan defense. But it was just a wonderful culmination this season. I'm a little curious how when we when we can get to that in the offseason, how next season's gonna go. We we're talking about like you can't really have a team at full strength. Well, we're gonna have a couple extra games at this point. And we're gonna be a little later in the season, or a little later in January, I should say. Um It'll be very curious to see how those games work out and what kind of because I mean we joke about that when you see a bowl game, uh, especially in a non-important bowl game, uh, you get a version of the team you were following all year because of the opt-outs and injuries and things like that. It's like this is a uh, this is a uh, <laughs> a version of some of your favorite teams. I mean, through injuries, are we going to get that? Like, yeah, this is this is the Michigan team. This isn't the Michigan team for midseason. This is the Michigan team in game eighteen. Or uh, we, I actually worked it out with a, with one of the guys um, in the media lounge last night. I'm like, you know, if the Hawaii rule is still there, like if you play a non-conference game at Hawaii, so you get a 13-game regular season, championship game, and you're not a high-ranked team, 
you're going to get like, I think it's 18 and 0 is, is theoretically possible. 17 and 0 is more likely. Um, but imagine that. I'm trying to imagine that kind of a game and how I, I can't wait for it to begin. But going back to this one, good national championship game, good experience, good environment. Um, they had Washington had an opportunity, and that's the thing. Washington had an opportunity and just couldn't do it. And hail to the victors. Michigan did it. Michigan uh, can finally get past, hopefully. Oh, they haven't played anybody. I mean, I, I was going to write that. I'm like, I, I, in my back of my head, I'm like, they still haven't played anybody, though. I mean, yeah, they won 15 and 0. They won the national championship. Have they played anybody, though? Have they? You know, they, they proved it. They proved it on the field. And one of my favorite quotes, and, and it was in the opening statement of Jim Harbaugh's postgame presser, was, I can sit at the big boy table now because my dad's won a championship. My brother's won a Super Bowl. This is my opportunity to, to sit at the big boy table. And that got a good chuckle. And, and he was pretty sanguine. You know, I remember, I, I actually, I, I, I remember you asked the players a question, Shahan, but I actually ended up asking the last question of the night to Jim Harbaugh. And I, I, I asked him, because I had some, uh, a friend who's a very hardcore Michigan fan tell me, you know, if they win after Michigan State, he promised, he was, he, he said, I'm not inked, but I would be into getting a tattoo uh, and, and I, so I asked him about it. I'm like, you know, you, you said earlier, if you got 15 and 0, while you don't have the tattoos, you would get a tattoo of 15 and 0. And I let him kind of elaborate. Cause they want to say like, you know, you, you're going to, right. He's like, no, he's like, yeah, I promised the team. If we went undefeated, I was going to get 15 and 0 tattoo, um, maybe on my arm. And he started like trying and, and he wants to get a block M because M this is where, this is where the Jim Harbaugh came out of like the way he likes to answer questions. The Roman number a thousand, which symbolizes, you know, and I almost wanted to do a follow up. Wait. So cause somebody pointed out like you have a, a thousand and four wins now. So should it be like M one, pardon me, M one V on your shoulder? You know, uh, that would have been a little too much, but you know, because that was the other question. Is he going to stay? You know, and people kind of teased him on that. And he gives a very noncommittal answer. His, his answers on that are remarkably noncommittal. I, I, I will say, <laughs> I, I think that he's leaving. I think that Ward Manuel spoke like he was leaving. I think that President Santa Ono spoke like he was leaving. Uh, he came to Michigan to do one thing, and that was to bring back a national championship. Uh, it's a program that hasn't done it in 26 years. And Ultimately, he was able to do it. I think he also aspires to win a Super Bowl. And, you know, for Jim Harbaugh, it's funny. I was, I was having this conversation with somebody else. I think that everybody loves money. Everybody's motivated by money, of course, to some extent. But I think that Jim Harbaugh also really is just like a crazy competitive person. And I think that he feels like I got so close, I could have won a Super Bowl. Like if, if he goes nine and seven, four times as head, as a head coach in the NFL, I don't think that he has this itch, but he played in the dang Super Bowl and played in what another, another one or two NFC championship games. So I think for him, he's like, I mean, I'm trying to think like of, uh, so obviously Pete Carroll is a coach who's won. I was about to say he's it's, he's very different from Pete Carroll, but they have at the core of them, the same hunger to prove themselves again and again. Like Nick Saban was like, I don't want to do that again. You know? <laughs> uh, Petrino, never want to do that again. But but both of those guys had tasted it. And especially with Harbaugh having gotten very close to it, that both of them, yeah, they just have that that drive and that desire. And and so, you know, you're talking about Pete Carroll has won both of them, Barry Switzer. It's pretty rarefied air to win both of those things. He wants to be at the head of the family table. He wants to be the head of the big table. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the other part too. I was like, and I want to be clear. One, I, we're a freaking college football program. We know how big a deal it is. It's the first time since 97. Like this is a big freaking deal. But it is also like, if I am, if I'm John Harbaugh, and, and again, just if you love, it, John is obviously a quirky guy, but like Jim is like a total weirdo. I, I don't think that that's in dispute. Uh, if I'm John, I'm like needling him like, yeah, man, 
good for you for winning like an amateur championship or whatever. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, look, I mean, Jack Harbaugh, like, you know, their dad is incredibly well respected. He led Western Kentucky to uh, an FBS national, or I, I think it was one double A still at the time national championship. Uh, so, you know, there, there is going to be no diminishing of what Jim Harbaugh accomplished, but I do think that he's like, I can, I can prove myself as the greatest Harbaugh if I go and win a national championship at Michigan, our beloved school, and then go to the NFL and win a Super Bowl. And the other part of it too, is when you look at the last couple of years, it's like, all right, he's like fighting for the Vikings job. Like, okay, cool. This year, I think that there are, you know, again, there are probably out of me. What are we at? Like six or seven openings, like three or four of them are pretty good like you get an opportunity to maybe work with Justin Herbert or you get an opportunity to, I, I mean, you know, I, I think like the bears are heading in an interesting direction and you'll have the ability to pick a quarterback if you want to. Uh, and like out of those jobs, I think that like Jim Harbaugh would get offered at least one or two of the good jobs. And so it feels like a perfect storm this time around, as opposed to just like a specific scenario so I, I do think that that makes it a little different. I, I do, before we get out of here, I do have to do one thing. I do have to do one thing. Back during the regular season, I picked Michigan to lose to Ohio State. They were three and a half point favorites. I picked Ohio State to win. I picked Ohio State to cover. A couple weeks later, Michigan played Alabama. One and a half point favorites. I picked Alabama to win. I picked Alabama to cover. Yesterday, Michigan plays Washington in the national championship game, four and a half point favorites. I pick Washington to win. I pick Washington to cover. I was wrong. I messed up. I don't know ball. I completely underestimated what Michigan could do. I completely under underestimated Michigan's defense. I completely misunderstood Jim Harbaugh. I apologize. I was wrong. Congratulations to Michigan. You deserve every bit of it. You were the best team in college football this year. And I also want to say, I put out a list last year of the 12 teams that I think can recruit at a superpower level and win a national championship. I did not have Michigan on that list because I thought that we were heading to a super team era. But I think that Michigan has proved, one, that I think we're heading away from super teams a little bit, which is great for the sport. I don't want super teams. I think it's bad. But the other piece is when you have a team that recruits well, develops well, identifies talent, gets guys to stick around, gets guys to come back for further years of eligibility, and you have an all-time coach leading the program, you can win a national championship at Michigan. Absolutely, 100%. I was wrong, and I deserve everything that's coming my way. So congratulations, Michigan fans. It hit my mentions. Well, I think that was a, a more than a sufficient mea culpa. Um, and we also won't come to you for gambling advice on games involving <laughs> Michigan. Um, hey, hey, <laughs> I, I, I want to say for the record, I do want to say for the record, out of the eight people who pick games for CBS Sports, I finished second this year in, the, uh, in our picks. So, like, I was very wrong about Michigan. I do know the ball sometimes. I, I do sometimes <laughs> know how to pick games. Uh, bowl season did screw me a little bit, but... If, I'm sorry, man. If you're if you're gambling deep in bowl season, like it, it is such a crapshoot, man. You don't even know he's playing. It's in like the an NFL game. preseason game. Good luck. <laughs> it's like the other part of it too is that whenever we're picking bowl games, we specifically also like uh, we had to like submit our like picks for like the week of games. And like, so things oh. would like change. And I mean, I could go yeah. and like find them and be like, can you edit this take or whatever? But like, that's, I'm not going to do that. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not on top of things enough to do that. So, uh, so yeah, full season, not the greatest run in the history of me, but I did finish above 500 overall in our picks. Uh, I, I did actually, this is the, uh, this is the third year in a row that I finished top two out of the eight. So like, I'm all right at this. I don't even gamble, by the way. I'm not a sports gambler. I, first of all, I live in Texas, so it's technically illegal. Obviously, that doesn't really stop anybody. But two, like, I just also know I do it too much. So I, I, I just stay far away from it. But I'll, I'll happily make my picks against the spread. I'm doing all right. And also, sometimes I'm extremely wrong. Yeah, yeah neither of us are sports gamblers, for sure. Well, we'll probably get back to this game and talk about a little more in depth 
later this week. But just wanted to take a second to to thank all of you who've listened as we kind of wrap this up. Our initial thoughts. This is the morning afterwards. Both of us are in classes. <laughs> Both of us are feeling a little worse for wear because the deadlines are ridiculous overnight. Um, if you actually are on the uh, the journalism side of the national championship game, but we want to thank all of you who are listening. We want to thank our producer Joey Alberti. You know, be sure to like, rate, and subscribe for us wherever you get your podcasts, and you can check us out on X and TikTok at CFB Survivor Show. We actually did a couple of. Uh, a couple of videos from the NRG before the game. He's Shahan J. Raja. You can find his work at CBSSports.com and Shahan J. Raja on X and TikTok. I'm Bob Kairi. It's always a pleasure to talk to all of you. Thanks for joining us. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.